Right, so the reading today is from Revelation uh, chapter 19, verses 1 to 21, which is the whole chapter. Uh, and the page on the Bible is uh, 1039. That's the ESV Bible we've got on the tables. Here we go. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard a, what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls, of thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dripped, uh, dipped in blood, and his name by which he is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword uh, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod, uh, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe... And on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men both free and slave, both great, small and great. And I saw the beast and the king of earth with their armies 
gathered to make their war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who is uh, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into a lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to to God. God. Great, thanks, Dan. We'll do please keep that uh, page open uh, in your Bibles. Um, please uh, keep your app open. There's a lot there, isn't there? There's way more in this uh, chapter than I can hope to cover this morning. Uh, But let's just pray, shall we, that God the Holy Spirit would enable me and help us all in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you are the Lamb who was slain, seated in your throne in heavenly glory now. Lord, thank you that you showed your servant John, the apostle, what heaven is like to encourage people to keep following you. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage our hearts to keep following you or maybe to follow you for the first time. And we ask this for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, as we approach our our celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, it's It's helpful, isn't it, to see the reality that we were looking at last week, the reality of heaven, the reality of the eternal world, which we can't see day to day. It's very easy, isn't it, when we see baby Jesus in nativity plays or in the kids, to think that that's what Christmas is like. It's insignificant. It's something which is dependent on us. We need to do all the work to make Christmas happen and to lose sight of the Lamb who was slain, reigning in heaven, purchasing people for God, which is so full of deep joy and, in the the best sense of the word, awe. And as we live between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, and as we're in the, the season of Advent, when we consider those two things, it's helpful to have the eternal world revealed to us through these words by the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent to his servant John to encourage all Christians in the last days. Three pictures that we have in this passage for us to help us wander afresh at Christmas. Firstly, the destruction of human rebellion. Secondly, a wedding day. And thirdly, a battle won. So firstly, the destruction of human rebellion. And and what John is encouraging those first readers to do is to praise God because he has judged Babylon. Praise God. It begins in verse 1 with hallelujah. There's a great multitude. It's, It's all the redeemed, all Christians, crying out hallelujah. What does hallelujah mean? It just means praise, hallel, Yahweh, Yah short for Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Praise the God of the Old Testament, the covenant God. Why? Well, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true 
and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. See, heaven is praising God for his power to save by judging Babylon. It's the great prostitute, which if we'd read chapter 18, we'd have seen. And it's in the past tense because it cannot fail to happen. It's as good as done. It's often linked, these images, these pictures in the Bible, to what has happened in history. And Babylon was destroyed in the 7th century BC, and it was prophesied that it would never be rebuilt, and it never has been. Even Saddam Hussein, who tried to start rebuilding it, well, you know what happened there. But we might say, well, what, what relevance, John, does this have for, to me today? What, what relevance does Babylon have to me as I go and do the Christmas shopping? I mean, come on, I want, I want something more useful. Well, I guarantee that you meet Babylon every day. In fact, you meet Babylon every time you go shopping. How, you say? Well, Babylon, if we, we know our Bibles, it was the, the city that set itself up against God. You remember they tried to build a tower to make a name for themselves, and God came down and confused the languages, and therefore all nations were born. And John has just described in chapter 18 what this city, Babylon, symbolized for the church then and for us too. She is a dwelling place for demons, chapter 18, verse 2. She's a symbol of sexual immorality, chapter 18, verse 3. She's a symbol of luxury and slavery, 18, verse 13. She's a symbol of all murder, the killing of prophets, the killing of Christians, of all murder throughout the world. You say, well, I don't get it. How, how, John, do I meet Babylon every day when I go shopping? Well, the world order is not organized in obedience to God, but against God. The world of Babylon is a symbol of everything that sets itself up against God and against his servants. And it's characterized by elevating luxury at the cost of human lives. Elevating those who want to make a name for themselves. You go to Phoenix and, and go to the perfume department and you'll see pictures of people who have made a name for themselves, celebrities. I would suggest that their perfume will cost you a bit. And, and when you get that new iPhone as your Christmas present or whatever it might be, consider the blood minerals that are being mined in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The 2.75 million people who've been displaced, the widespread sexual abuse, executions by militias for the tantalum, the tin, and the tungsten, which is in your iPhone and every other phone. When you go to Primark and consider that real bargain that is so cheap, you're encountering Babylon. We can see it perhaps more clearly in past generations, can't we? With the transatlantic slave trade, which put sugar on people's tables. And therefore, for those who are 
Against slavery in those days, they refused to take sugar with their tea. They, they knew what it had cost to get that sugar to their table. And when we think about Christmas, it's, it's sometimes so depressing, isn't it, how Christmas has been hijacked, corrupted by materialism. It becomes more about M&S taking Aldi to court for cheating with the cake in the caterpillar sort of design. Do you remember that from last year? There's another one going on again. Christmas is celebrated not by joy in Jesus Christ, but by joy in Miss Kiskin the funny grass worm, which I'm told is the latest toy that all the children will want this Christmas. You see, we encounter Babylon every day because we live in a world which has been corrupted by economic power in the hands of those who want to make a name for themselves. Now, now we need to be very, very careful here. You might be saying, John, you're just sending me on a guilt trip. Now we go, we've got to be careful because Jesus was clear that it's, it's not that Christians shouldn't buy anything luxurious. Jesus himself was anointed with a bottle of perfume worth 20,000 pounds into today's money. To make some things off limits for a Christian, to call what God has made evil is itself demonic, it's against God. But so also is turning a blind eye to Babylon, to thinking it doesn't matter where we get things from. We are to consider not just the cost of what we buy, but the human cost of what we buy. And we don't do that as a complete guilt trip. No, because as Christians, we are shown what will happen to Babylon. What will happen to Babylon? She will be destroyed, judged by God. So we're to come out of her and praise God for the fact that there is coming a day when there will be a new creation where there will be no economic corruption, no bribery in high places. She will be destroyed by the return of Jesus. So the whole of heaven cries out, look at, with me at verse 3, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders whom we met in chapter 5 and all the living creatures fall down and worship God who is seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God! Commentators think that's the voice of Jesus. Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. How do we apply this when we're going shopping? Uh, I'm sure I'll be going to Primark at some point. Well, we, we need to have that balance, don't we? Not to give up on Christmas because of its being hijacked by economic corruption. It, it's a sort of insidious and toxic mix, isn't it? The celebration of the birth of Jesus alongside greed and economic oppression of people throughout the world. We, we will struggle to put those two things together and we'll just sort of harden our hearts towards it unless we can see this. Praise God, Babylon will be destroyed. Economic injustice, the slavery of human beings, even the 100,000 slaves in this country is going to come to an end one day. But because of that being true, whether it's fair, fair trade, 
or not presuming that cheapest is best, we need to factor in, with praise in our hearts, not sort of grumpiness, oh, I can't buy those cheapest T-shirts because they were made in a sweatshop in the Far East. No. Oh, Lord, thank you that I'm part of this new world and I can make decisions in which the human cost is part of the cost I consider. And I praise you that there's coming a day when Jesus will get rid of all this corruption from this world. So praise God. He has judged Babylon. Secondly, praise God because the saints are ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, the whole of heaven is not only praising Yahweh for judging Babylon, the great prostitute, but for the arrival of the wedding day of the Lamb. Look with me at verse 6. Hallelujah. Praise God. Why? For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. How do we know? Well, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure. The picture is of the wedding day. The church is ready for husband. I don't know what you think of the church at the moment. You look out on the church in our nation. You look at this church and you think, well, it's not, it's not really that great. But we need to look forward to that day, that wedding day and that feast with joy that the marriage of the Lamb has come. There is coming a day when the church will be fully complete. All those chosen for salvation will be with God in glory. And the, the wedding day is here. Imagine that day. The engagement is over. Whether it's betrothal of the first century or engagement today. And the bride is at the church door or wherever. She's made herself ready. Hair is fantastic. Better than it's ever been. Nails. Beautiful. White wedding dress and as she walks in everyone is smiling everyone is smiling i've taken a number of weddings and you just smile you rejoice you exult the day that they've been waiting for is here and the feast is about to begin and what jesus is showing christians is that day will come the waiting will be over one day all there will be is joy and the consummation of marriage. How has the church made herself ready? Verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's Christians. See, it's the righteous deeds of Christians that make Christians and the whole church ready for that day of marriage that everybody's been waiting for, that the Lord Jesus Christ has been waiting for, who then delights in her righteousness, the fruit of his death, and the result is exultant joy. I'm sure we, we know, don't we, as we've looked at Romans recently, that we're not made right with God by our righteous deeds. We do know that, don't we? I'm looking around. There's a few blank faces. If you've got that wrong... Christianity will be a slavery to you. We are right with God simply by, by putting our trust in Jesus Christ. He does it all. Isn't that wonderful? Just to be loved by God from beginning to end. From the, the, the moment we put our trust in Jesus, we will, we will be heading to glory. It's not by our righteous deeds. Yeah? 
Horse and cart, for those of you who are here, don't get them confused. Justification is the horse, it's the powerhouse. Cart is the, the good deeds that follow. But what it's saying here is, we're not saved by good deeds, but we are saved for good deeds. They're the way that we are made ready. Because it pleases our Savior. It gives him joy on that day. I mean, those of you who have been um, uh, grooms, it, w when you look at your bride coming in, a any joy? A any pleasure? No, I know this world's messed up and, and there's lots of brokenness. But that's the picture. Jesus delights in the way that his bride has made herself ready. He, he delights in her righteousness, in her righteous deeds. They're not just sort of secondary and optional. How does that apply to us? Well, it's very easy, isn't it, to think, well, I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So, you know, does it really matter how many righteous deeds I do? What's the motivation for me to do some righteousness, to do some good deeds? The answer is, it pleases your husband. But you say, well, I'm struggling to get my head around this, John. Is, is the Bible being kind of gender fluid here? No. As we saw last week, gender is not the most important aspect of human identity in the Bible. As Mary's humanity gives rise to the man, Christ Jesus, here, all the righteous deeds of Christians, of God's people throughout history, men and women, are pictured as that beauty of the bride on her wedding day. A joy that is anticipated. Something which Jesus Christ is pleased with. So next time you think, oh, should I go to church? Should I serve in church? Should I invite people? I don't feel like it. Well, that, if you're anything like me, that's how you feel. Maybe be reminded it pleases Jesus as a husband is pleased with his bride on the wedding day. These pictures are supposed to stir up our emotions. We're supposed to feel the pleasure of Jesus when we do something righteous, when we do something good, when we serve in a particular way. It's not meaningless. It's not something which contributes to our salvation, but it's why we have been saved. To be in relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we work hard over the Christmas period for him, he is pleased. As we play music, as we invite, as we welcome people into our home, feel his pleasure. It's very difficult to keep doing something unless you know it's pleasing to someone. Isn't it? Our good deeds anticipate the welcome all Christians have from him. What will he say as we enter the heavenly city? Well done. Good and faithful servant, come and share in our Father's joy. Are you a faithful servant? Well, then look to his pleasure in your righteous deeds. Praise God, the saints are ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then finally, and far more briefly, see the victory of the word of God, the King of Kings. See, when we come to church week by week, uh, the preached word of God, what I'm doing now, uh, the words of the Bible seem so weak, don't they? When you're there in the morning and you're there, 
Oh, I need to read some words from this book. I just, I've got something better to do. Oh, what am I doing later on? Oh, no, I must read. It seems such a weak thing to be getting these words into our, our understandings. Or, you know, the five minutes that I'm going to speak for on Wednesday, or the seven minutes of the family carol, it just seems so weak. It's not. See, John sees the victory of Jesus pictured as a warrior on a white horse. Think Lord of the Rings, if that helps. If you hate Lord of the Rings, just forget it. Um, his eyes are flames of fire. He sees to judge. On his head are many diadems. Satan only has seven. The beast only has ten. Jesus has them all. His robe is dipped in blood. Not here, I, I don't think, a, a symbol of his death. It's a picture of his coming judgment. When you slay people, you get blood all over you, apparently. Yeah, I, I'm, that's something I haven't experienced. be glad to know. <laughs> but he is the word of God. The word of God is fundamentally a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things were made, without whom nothing that has been made, that has been made, as John 1 puts it, the word of the Father who sustains all things, every quark of every atom of everything in the universe is sustained by the word of Jesus, and he speaks through this book. He said it's his testimony, it's all about him. He's followed by the armies of heaven that are righteous, the same language of the clothing of the bride, fine linen, white and pure, who follow him on white horses. And verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. This is no weak Jesus, the baby in the manger Jesus. I mean, he was and is the son of God as he was a baby. No, this is warrior Jesus who strikes down the opposition with a sword, who smashes the opposition with a rod of iron, as Psalm 2 predicted. Try to think of the imagery of the Lord of the Rings. The returning king, Aragorn, combined with Gandalf, combined with Frodo, all in one. Revelation is trying to put picture upon picture upon picture. He's the lamb who was slain. He was the crucified one. He purchased people for God. He's the returning king coming to destroy all his enemies. Are we on the right side of this king? See, however weak and pathetic the church seems, are we on the right side of this king? You know, we may suffer. But will it be as hobbits or orcs? Have we become righteous through faith in this king, or are we the unrighteous facing complete slaughter? You see, we might think that all this talk here in the Bible about birds feasting on the flesh of kings of the earth is a bit more like the language of the witch king of Angmar than God. It's gross, it's disgusting. That's the point. Do you want your fate to be eaten by birds? 
Do you want to be cast into the, to the second death, the lake of burning fire, because you worship the beast? Don't worry, we haven't got time to go into that. No. You see, the defeat of all the kings of the earth, of all the powers allied against God and against his Christ, is easy. He's saying, look, I'm about to fight this battle, so get ready, birds. It's not kind of in the balance. There's no question as who's going to win this battle. The one enthroned in heaven in Psalm 2 laughs. It is laughable that the creature should take on the creator. There's only one possible result. We can predict the result in the battle between God and the devil, between God and the beast, between God and all those who refuse to worship this king. So it's worth, if we're a Christian here this morning, to keep following this king, to pay the cost and the price for confessing that we are Christians. We won't face what the first century church faced, which was being thrown to the lions, or crucified, or torn to pieces by wild beasts, or made human torches by Nero. That's probably not going to happen to us. But even if it did, it would still be worth it. Because we'd be on the winning side. See, this final picture is trying to get across to us the horror of being on the wrong side of Jesus. Death in war is a horror, but worse is the defeat by the returning king of kings. Being one of the enemies of the armies of heaven, being thrown into the second death, and he does all this by the sword that comes from his mouth. So as we close, which side are we on? And if we're on his side, well, praise him. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Praise him that he saved us, that he's purchased us. And if we're not on his side, can I urge you, be part of the bride. Trust in him. Be his delight. Be the one he is going to perfect and love and marry. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you are not weak, that you are a warrior against evil, that you are coming to judge, that you will be victorious, that you have and will destroy all that is corrupt in this world. And so thank you, Lord, that for, for many of us here, you have dealt with our corruption. You have dealt with our sin. You have purchased us by your blood that we might be part of your bride, part of that joy of the new creation. Please use us, Lord, to reach others who are yet to trust in you. And if we're yet to trust in you here this morning, Lord, we, we want this. Please save us, we ask, for your glory's sake. Amen.